0: So, Colossians 3, um, anybody need notes? Except for Eileen. (laughs) Alright, so Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. So we have actually taken, I think, about um, when we went back up to, I think it was verse 18, we've, we've taken about almost 18 weeks uh, kind of working our way through that. And when we get down to 23, again, as he, as he speaks to these believers, again, remember, keep in mind that when Paul was writing this, it was not the normal way of thinking where an individual thought about the religion in terms of everyday life. When it came to most religions, except for Judaism, the idea was you just did a couple of rituals. uh, You would go through the motions to to make sure the gods either weren't angry at you or maybe to appease the gods. uh, If you wanted something in particular, like if your wife couldn't have kids or you wanted good crops, whatever it was, that that was all that you would do, um, and that was it. So what made Judaism and then Christianity stand out was you have, because you didn't have sermons in these other religions. There, were no, there was no moral teaching, there was nothing. It was just these rituals um, that you would uh, perform. So when it came to Judaism and then Christianity, the idea where there was a reading of a text, a text that everyone believed that, that God had preserved what he, had, what he was trying to communicate to us, that you would expound on that uh, that you would then seek to understand what it meant as far as not only what, what the words meant and what the message was but then how it applied to your daily living how it applied to the way you related to god the way that you related to your spouse the way you related to your children the way you related to the culture around you all those kinds of things you know that was in a sense still a novelty or just an unusual thing and that's why when you go through the book of acts sometimes when you, when you see Paul and is going to the synagogue, it talks about there's this Gentile group that's always in these synagogues, and then that's where these Gentiles are coming from. Some were proselytizing to Judaism, but others were coming because it was a, uh, uh, they were just very interested in this thing that was going on with these people and the way they live and, and the book. And, and that, that kind of continued with, with Christianity as well. So when Paul is writing this, uh, and he's getting into these various statements about how you are to live, and that this is the command from God. Uh, these are the expectations that God has. Some of these individuals, it, the ones who were Jewish, were accustomed to that kind of thing being said. Your Gentile individuals who become believers, that's still new to them. Now, it doesn't mean they were opposed to it, but that was new to them. Um, and so uh, that's why we've also spend a lot of time kind of going through it to make sure we have a good handle and grasp on many of the practical things that Paul gets into. So we went over verse 23 last week in some detail, and what I wanted to do was to begin this evening by reading you, uh, reading to you a couple of paragraphs from a, a pastor from the past who was looking at this, remember the last couple of weeks we were talking about the verses preceding this where he, he, he gave a command to slaves. As so we talked about the word slavery, how that word is used in the Bible, uh, what it depicted, and you know, why Paul addressed slaves. You know, We kind of related that to what's going on today and how people think about slavery. But wanted, we wanted to make sure we didn't miss this idea uh, that there is this expectation that God has of every single believer, regardless of their station in life. It, it doesn't matter if you were a slave where you were in this unjust situation where you had no rights god expected you to act and react in a particular way that there was that expectation nobody is exempt from this um it it doesn't matter what our background is or what our current situation is god expects from us holiness righteousness and all the things that kind of go along with that so in thinking of that Let me just read to you then um, these two paragraphs from this man, and he says this. He calls it glory in the grind, meaning the grind of everyday living. He says, the life of slaves in the Roman Empire was not easy. They were regarded as things, and they had no rights. Some had good masters and challenging work, but most were given menial tasks to perform. They worked long hours with little rest. Christians, however, could catch a glimpse of glory in the grind. Whether slaves or masters, they could do their work with dignity. They were Christ's servants, and they represented him in the marketplace or the home. Each worked for his master, Jesus Christ, and labored for a commendation that would ultimately come from him. Someone captured the heart of this truth when he observed, if a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep the street even as Michelangelo painted or Beethoven composed music or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that the host of heaven will pause to say, Here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. So your work may be tedious. You may have an employer who doesn't appreciate you or pay you what you're worth. You may want to quit. But you are working for Christ. Do your daily work so that your master in heaven can one day say to you, Good job. Well done. So again, the point that he was making there was the point that we were talking about all last week. And that is, there's, there's there's not this encouragement or this idea that if you are in a work situation where you're treated unfairly, that you shouldn't try for that to be corrected. But again, there's a way that we do that. And while we are waiting for it to be corrected, if it's going to be corrected, how then do you live? And the idea, again, is that we are to be Christian. Um, one of the things I say to people at times, I usually wait until after I get to know them pretty well because I don't want them to want to hit me. Um, but when they're, when they're talking about a situation they're in, and they'll say, well, you know, this happened, this happened, and, and then I did this. And I will say to them, I go, well, wait a minute. What, what do you mean? You you da 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 They go, well, you know how it is. I go, no. You're a Christian. Christians don't do that. We, and we have to recognize that. You know, you, we Christians, we, we don't talk back. We don't put others down. We don't try to, to rip someone off, even if it's uh, minor. We, we don't take any joy when um, anyone is, is uh, in a sense, put in their place. We want justice to be done, yes, but we, we, don't, nec- we don't want people to be belittled. You know, we don't want to see others suffer. We, you know, we don't run around always trying to be vindicated. We don't, want, we don't want to, you know, take revenge on people because somehow we've been slighted. You know, all those kinds of things that we, that we may just, I, I guess, accept that we, that we see going on around us, and maybe some of those things that we engage in ourselves, we need to stop from them and just say, wait, hold on. Even if I'm taken advantage of and at work and what they're doing is wrong, and I, and I can't address that in a particular way, I don't react against that. I don't react against that person. I don't go around and complain about how I'm being... I don't do that. I'm a Christian. Christians don't do that. We, I can take my problems to my Father in Heaven. He understands. If I need strength to get through the day because I'm so underappreciated, I don't have to try to get that appreciation for others by complaining about management, and they kind of join in. I can go to my Father in Heaven. Amen. And that really is what's being communicated here uh, for us. And too often what happens is is we, we may be thinking, well, I'm not engaging in a big lie about someone. I'm not slandering them. We kind of go through certain things and, and we think, well, because I'm not, I'm okay. But it's more than that. I mean, I, I, if I'm doing something for the Lord, the idea is, is that I, I, I need to do it happily. I, I, want, I want to do this well, even if no one else appreciates what I'm doing. Now that's hard. That's very difficult, especially if that's been going on for you for a long time. That's really hard. You know, in the flesh, we're going to run out of energy when it comes to doing that. You know, it it, it may be an indication of where we are in our walk with the Lord if we're able to continue uh, with great mental energy or physical energy to do what we're supposed to do. Um, you may have never been in that situation. Um, I've been in that situation a few times throughout my life. I'm an old man, so I I've, I've have a lot of years of experience, but the idea is, is that, that we want to make sure that we, we take this to heart. We really are serving the Lord. It really does matter. He really is watching. He really does reward us uh, for these things. So I want to cover some points, which I have there uh, in your notes. As we t- I want to talk and finish up the, the, the idea here, again, of whatever you do, you work heartily as for the Lord. So let me just kind of give you a real quick illustration, then we'll get into this. So let's say... Um, We'll take a a simple situation. So I tell my wife, let's say my wife cooks a big dinner and she says to me, Can you do the dishes? Now, that's not a big deal to me, but let's say I don't feel like doing the dishes. All right? But I know that I should do the dishes. And I I love her. And so, you know, so I'm going to do them. But there's a lot of ways to do the dishes. I can make a lot of noise doing the dishes. I'm still cleaning them. I'm making a lot of noise. That's not. That's not right. It's wrong. I, we, I'm not. I'm not doing that for the Lord when I do that. I'm actually trying to send her a message. I'm upset, <laughs> as if she didn't already know. But the, point, the thing is, is again, we're Christians. We don't do that. So number one, no matter what your task is, it is our duty. To work for God's glory. So again, this is not then just in an employment situation, in whatever in whatever you are doing, around the home, around the neighborhood, or around the church. Again, it, it it doesn't exclude work. It may be at work. The idea is that whatever task we take on, whether you're being paid, whether you're a volunteer, whatever it happens to be, we it is our duty to do this for the glory of God. Okay, that's that's not just a cliche. Um, that we say. It's not, just a, it's not just a motivational thing we use to help motivate someone to do something. right? It, 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 this is reality. Um, in, in this sense, no job is better than another. Each one should result, uh, each one should, should seek to honor the Lord. So again, if you're a CEO, uh, or you're the janitor, or all the various things in between, it, it really doesn't matter. Um, and I again, just to emphasize, the, the real difficult part is when n- it seems no other human being notices. Because we, ha- we do look for that, don't we? Sometimes. I, I want, like, what do people, some- sometimes when uh, married couples are having a hard time, sometimes one of them will say, I just don't feel appreciated. Now, that's not a good thing. And maybe the other spouse is at fault for not expressing that, so we're not excusing that. At the same time, just because no one appreciates what I'm doing never gives me the right than to not do what's right. <clears throat> See, that's what we have to get, right? and we don't like that. We're thinking, well, what about what they did? That's a separate issue. Right now, we are only to with you, and your response is still incorrect, and I'm to go back to this basic idea that I'm doing this for the Lord. It's one we can teach our children. Again, it's, it's not just... Now, it is hard to teach that to your children if you don't do that. <laughs> <You> know, <right? laughs> Make sure that, that you have to snuff on that as well. But you do want to teach your children that. That God is always watching. That it really does matter. Because God wants every aspect of our life to honor Him. And it is in one sense, that much more important, if no one else is noticing or saying anything, that we don't then lose heart or lose interest or lose energy because others don't seem to appreciate that. And we, and again, in the flesh, you may, be, you may be able to do it for a while where no one appreciates it, but it can wear you down because we're not hearing that. Again, I'm, no one is saying that others not appreciating you is correct in any way, shape, or form, but we can't live for that. You can't, even though it is encouraging. Now, I, now I am convinced of this, though. Because I believe that God is so sovereign and active in every aspect of our life. I'm convinced of this. If you really need encouragement to continue on, got to make sure you get it. So if you don't get it, you don't need it as much as you think you do. You maybe be thinking about yourself too much. That's hard. All right, so if God... Because God doesn't make mistakes. God knows everything. He knows us inside and out. He understands our psychological makeup. All right, he knows all that. Remember again what he, what, uh, you know, there's that story in the Bible about Elijah. Elijah goes to this great spiritual victory. He, he, there's this big showdown. He, they defeat the prophets of Baal, and they're wiped out. And, uh, you know, Jezebel is really angry when she hears about that because that's her priest and her religion and all that. And so she puts a contract down on his life. And so he runs away and he hides. And then he goes to a big pity party. There's no one else in Israel. I'm the only one who's faithful to God. And he just wants to die. And God basically, basically feeds him, tells him to take a nap. You know, <laughs> and then later on, you know, says, oh, by the way, there's 7,000 others. He, he had no clue, but there's 7,000 others. You're not the only one. But you'll notice in the story the 7,000 don't show up and say, Elijah, you're our champion. You're our hero. That doesn't happen. God just tells him. That this is the situation so basically you need to straighten up but the idea is is that god really is sovereign and understands what we need and so if we need encouragement we will get it so we can be in a sense tougher than we may appear to be not because we become uncaring it's not it's not because we don't it's not that i now don't need human encouragement we're human beings we're not trying to become you know iron man who doesn't need anyone else that's not the point we depend upon the Lord. And, and so this needs to be then ingrained in my mind uh, as a believer that this is what God wants from me. And of course, remember that in all of this, um, God is also going to give to us by his spirit the strength and the energy and, and what we need to do this. You know, we are able to do this because this is going to reflect my dependence upon God and my growth as a believer. Right, so there's a lot of things that we don't necessarily think about that may reveal where we are or are not spiritually. But this is one of those things that reveal. So so let's say that you go to church on a regular basis, you're very faithful, you read the Bible faithfully, you pray faithfully, you're helping others, all those things are going well. And there's this one thing that really just kind of just gnaws at you, that at work you're just, you feel like you're treated like dirt. And so because of that, you begin to build up resentment towards who, whoever it is. Maybe it's just the company itself, maybe individuals, maybe both, but this resentment is building. Okay, that, what that reveals is, even though on the surface it looks like, man, you're, this guy, he's really growing and he's serving the Lord, and you are doing those things, but the growth may not be as great as it appears because that's going on. You know, it's kind of like, The couple that comes to church and thinks they have a great marriage, they go home and they argue every single day. You know, things aren't all that good, right? So there's a false front. So, So we don't always make that connection because we're thinking in our mind, well, but everybody would have a problem with this. I'm not saying that they wouldn't. But you can't allow that as a Christian to get the best of you. So you're going to experience, so, so I'm not saying that you're not going to experience being upset. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying you're not going to be tempted. Right? Because cynicism or bitterness, that takes place because you allow that stuff to remain. Right? You dwell on it. There's a lot of ways to say it, but that's the main idea. And that's where the resentment and the bitterness comes from. So I, I can still recognize, I can still even be greatly bothered. You know, I can even say, you know what? I don't feel like going to work. Can tell God, say, you know what, Lord? Remember, remember, God knows this in your heart, so you're not fooling God. You know, you may be feeling really bad about going to work, and then you and you but you praise everything is great. God's not fooled. So you can, you can we can speak honestly to God. I don't be disrespectful, but you could be honest. So you can say, you know what, Lord, I don't feel like going to work. You're gonna have to help me because I don't want to go. I am fed up with my boss, I think he's a pig-headed whatever. You know, you can go through the whole thing. I mean, read through the Psalms. David does that sometimes, and you can tell God. But say, but you can say, Lord, but I know that's wrong because I'm a Christian. And at some point between now and when I get to work, I need your help. It's a 15 minute drive. <laughs> All right, God's not worried about how long it's going to take. You know, God. But the idea is, you're but you're coming clean before the Lord. You're recognizing your own weakness. You are pouring out to Lord your heart as to the circumstance you are in. And now you're asking God for God to give you his grace so you can what? It's not just so you can get through the day. Because the goal is for you to what? Honor him with your life. Honor him with your job. And say, Lord, I I really want to do that, Lord. Because there is no other reason why I want to do this. That is the only reason I got left. But I want to do it that way and I need your help. I'm convinced God's going to answer your prayer. And next thing you know, you'll be driving home, because the day has gone, and the Lord got you through it. Uh, And so, that's that's how we need to approach it, and I think life goes a lot better when we do that. Number two, so the way we work can earn the respect of those who do not follow Christ. We do have to remember that. Wherever we go, we are ambassadors for Christ. Being an ambassador for Christ is not just being able to successfully share the gospel. That's a very good thing. But remember, your, your life can, uh, in a sense, disqualify you for sharing the gospel. Because your, your life is expressing the wrong thing. It's almost like you're saying, here, believe all this, but it doesn't really make any difference in your life. Y- you want your life to confirm the power of the gospel. You, had, you can ask something. Is that uh, early respect for those who don't serve Christ? Yeah, yeah. For those who don't know Christ. They don't follow Christ. That, That's the, that would be for the non-believer. All right? So let me read to you, the, I have the uh, reference there in your notes, First Thessalonians 4, beginning in verse 11, it says this, but we urge you brothers to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, and to work with your with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may live properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. So when he says be dependent on no one, he's not saying that you have to be this independent individual who needs nothing. The idea is, is that yes, we depend upon the Lord, and that's always there, and there is this idea that there's an interdependence that we have on each other as human beings. He's not denying that, but what he's getting at here is that we have this awareness, and we are moving in this direction where we understand what he says in verse 12, that we are to live properly. That means I'm to live godly or righteously before non-believers. So I want my life to verify the gospel. I don't want an individual to hear me talk about the gospel yet to be thinking, it doesn't really matter what I'm saying, you know, in their mind to think, yeah, but I, I mean, I know what you think about the boss. So don't, it does, we may not always make that connection, but that connection is there. And it's not that we're pretending that we love the boss and that he's perfect. We, We can speak honestly about things. But you can, so you can speak honestly about a situation that may be bad or mishandled without dragging someone's name through the mud. Okay, there's a way to do that, and a proper time to do that. But my concern is to make sure that, that my life is lived in such a way that I'm living properly. My relationship to them, and it reveals this relationship that I have with the Lord. I think I, I won't go into the whole story, but, but uh, when I was working at the jail as a chaplain, there was this one guy, he was a classification officer. He was retired from the army. Um, he was a real no-nonsense, ultra-conservative kind of individual. I didn't really know much about him. Um, I I knew that uh, back then, this was the 90s, he liked Tennessee football, and they were pretty good then. So if they would lose, I would look him up and then tease him. Um, And if Tennessee won, then I would ignore him. Um, But, you know, we would go, we would just, we would chat, and and sometimes we'd sit and talk, and he'd start telling his Army stories, and I would listen. Um, And so we kind of had, so it was kind of, it was a very superficial thing. So we knew each other to see each other. We knew each other by the first name. I knew a little bit about him. He knew a little bit about me. And this went on for like three years. And then one day, I just popped my head in his office. I said, hey, Chuck, how you doing? And he was a very uh, unique kind of guy, the way he spoke. And so he said, well, good morning, chaplain. Come in and shut the door. He had never said that before. And so I Came in, I shut the door, and I sat down, and then he said this, I've been watching you ever since we met. And my first thought was, oh no, what have I done? <laughs> that was my thought. Man, I have blown it, and this guy's not going to call me out. So, but that's okay. I'm ready to apologize, ask for forgiveness, whatever it is. I just really had no clue. And he says, so I've been watching you ever since we met. He says, and I don't like preachers much. But I think you're a no-nonsense guy. And I got a problem, and I think you can help me with it. And then he just unloaded all this stuff about his family. It was unbelievable the stuff that, that was going on with his family. He and his wife had two adopted, well, he adopted her two sons. When they married, she already had two boys. The older boy was a flaming homosexual, and he was dying of AIDS. And uh, they didn't go to church anywhere. He had, a, he had many bad, the Chuck had many bad experiences with pastors. I mean, I don't know all the story, but I know his side of it. But anyway, uh, he wondered if I would do the funeral when he died. And I said, I would, I would be more than happy to. I said, but I would like, his son's name was Michael. I said, I would like to talk to Michael first. He said, oh, absolutely. And, uh, so I started, and I actually, what happened, I ended, up, I ended up, going to his house on Tuesday nights, which for about three or four weeks. And, uh, um, it was great. Michael ended up becoming a believer, uh, after about three weeks. And this is not uncommon for the guy, for individuals who are dying of AIDS. It got to the point to where he, as he got weaker physically, he then went into a coma. Didn't wake up and he died. So. I, to be honest, I did not do anything extraordinary for Chuck to say, come in and sit down. I just, I was just living my life. But what I can tell you is, I never talked bad about anybody in front of him. I did because I don't talk bad about anybody. So don't do that. Not that big of a deal. You work in the jail, man, that goes on a lot, because you meet a lot of individuals and there's a lot of stuff going on. Uh, So, but I was just living my life, but he, he watched how I interacted with the inmates, how I interacted with other officers. I guess there was a consistency there. And of course I listened to his stories and so, and he liked that, um, but the Lord used all those things and then presented me with an opportunity I would have never had. And it was great to be able to imagine being able to walk in and speak to an individual for two hours every week. About, the, about spiritual issues in their life and the Lord and all that kind of... It was just great. And so uh, the idea, again, here that's being stressed is we need to live properly before those who, are, who, are, who don't follow Christ, those who are outside. You, you don't know when it's going to happen. And you, and you may not... In fact, some things may happen and you'll never hear about it because you may not... In other words, what will happen is this. The Lord... When most people come to Christ, especially in... in westernized countries. It's normally through a, a lot of different events and people. It's like a group effort. So so you may be just one individual in a chain of individuals that certain people meet. So it may be that, that John has heard the gospel before I ever met him. And he, he's actually met a host of Christians before I met him. Then he meets me and, and I'm a Christian and we talk about a little bit of the Lord. Uh, but I treat him right. I don't rip him off. I'm honest. I care about him. I, you know, whatever. And then he ends up moving away. He meets another Christian. And eventually, because of all these different Christians that he's met who've been living consistently, he then, the Lord opens his heart one day, and he believes in Christ. And part of the reason for that is all these other people down the line that he had met that had, that simply, that had been simply just living the life of the Lord. And when they go to heaven, I, I think they'll hear about that. That because of, of your life, because of your consistency, whatever happens to be, you had a part in, in this individual coming to know Christ. I mean, it's, just, it's amazing how that works. Uh, and that's why I, I always am interested to hear how people came to Christ. But I want the details. You know, I want to know, well, what was going on before? What were you thinking about? What was happening in your life? I mean, I want all that kind of stuff. Because to me, I, just, I see the intricacies of that individual's life and how the Lord really orchestrates all these things to come together to that point, to where the individual is ready to to believe in Christ, and it's just it's great uh, and exciting to hear that kind of thing. So we want to. So so wherever you're working, remember that because of that, God is sovereign. There's no such thing as happenstance. There's no such thing as chance. So the people that you meet when you work, that's not an accident. Now, again, remember, it doesn't always mean something profound is going to happen with you and that person. It may, but we don't know that. But never just dismiss whoever you, whoever you meet or whoever you're working with. It is ordained by God. It really is. Now, there are times that you'll meet with, maybe a lot of times, you'll meet, you'll meet with some, you'll work with some people that will never be interested in, in hearing the gospel. They don't care, and they don't want to hear it. But but the Bible tells us that as we live the life and as we share the message of Christ, that to those who are being saved, it's like the smell of sweet perfume. But it adds to that, that. To those who are damned, it's the stench of death. So sometimes, God is using our life and our witness to further seal the fate of those who are damned. They would never be able to say to God, because God is sovereign and God never lies about anything that he does, they would never be able to say to God, I had no idea, because God will always be able to say, well, I know for a fact you knew Bob for five years, and Bob, da 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 you didn't, well, yeah, but that was just one guy, well, you also knew John, you met John, and in fact, John did this for you and this for you, and I mean, if, if there's, you know, Romans 1 makes it clear from the very beginning, we die without excuse. So our lives then, we, we you know, sometimes we get caught up in the way Americans think. And, and you see this, I, I know this may sound like it's not connected, but I think it is. So you know how more and more people, they make these videos where some guy is making a real big production out of asking his fiance to marry him. So they'll do it like in the middle of an NBA basketball game, or, you know, they'll run out of an entire restaurant, you know, always something really big and flashy. And so the next person, ha- so there's some women out there who think, you know, well, you know, traffic wasn't stopped, so I don't, you know, I, I, apparently you don't love me. Or uh, one <laughs> carat ring, not three, I know what you make. I mean, it's just, everything has to be big and showy. And so we kind of live in a t- day and age that if, if, if we don't, if we're not aware that we're making this profound difference in everybody else's life, our life is a waste. That's, that's the devil. That feeds the ego. You may be aware of having a profound difference, and if you are, that's very encouraging. But don't plan on that. Don't let, just let the Lord worry about that. Just remind yourself, God's involved in my life. He's involved with who I meet. Mean. I need to live for the Lord regardless of what's going on, regardless of the circumstance. Everybody is watching me, even if they are unaware, they're watching me. And I need to respond as a Christian Because I have no idea how God's going to use that in the lives of those that I'm with. And so we need to to think that way. Um, And I think it helps. It helps us also to have a much better attitude towards people that we may not necessarily like. Because I know this for a fact. All of us either have worked with people or are working with people that we wouldn't choose because of whatever whatever their deal is. You know, maybe they're rude or whatever it happens to be. There's just people who... They're just stinkers, at least to us. And, we, and so we, but I need to have a good attitude towards an individual. That, you know, sometimes we find out things about people and I go, well, no wonder they're a stinker. Man, if I had a life like that, I might be the same way or worse. And so they give this understanding. I think I, I, I know I've shared this before. There was a, in, in the dorm, the desophage room I had in the jail, um, we had a, a situation where this a new inmate was brought into my program. And uh, he was very unusual, uh, because when he spoke, he yelled. He yelled at everybody. I mean, it was he was irritating the moment he walked into the dorm. He was yelling at the officer, and people were trying to be nice. And he's just yelling at everybody. Well, what we did with the guys that I was discipling, it was, it was the whole dorms, there was about 60 of them. Every Friday we have like we put all the chairs in a big circle. And we and I told the guys we will discuss and discuss anything you want. We'll talk about any question you want. The only there's only a few rules. Rule number one, don't discuss your case. None of us are lawyers. Number two, if you speak, stand up. If you're not standing up, don't speak. And number three, I always get the last word. I'm the chaplain, I get the last word, this is how it is. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So anyway, so this guy comes in, comes, in, and this is a Friday, so it's Friday morning, this guy's yelling at everybody, it's just not going well, um, and you can already tell guys are getting agitated, just, they're getting agitated. And you know, a lot of people are already agitated because they're in jail anyway, so this just, they're looking for an outlet. You know, sometimes, I don't know if you've ever seen a guy like this, but sometimes a, a guy is agitated and he wants to fight somebody. He wants to get into a fight. He doesn't care. He wants to get in a fight because he's got all this junk inside. He wants to get it out and that anyway. So this is going on in the jail. you got all these guys in there. So what happens is, is uh, there was another guy that was also brand new. And when we got ready to begin, he was the first one to stand up, which was very unusual. Normally, whenever I had this circle of inmates speak, the, the new guys would never say a word. They, they, they're trying to get the lay of the land. Like, what is this about? What's going on? You know, that kind of thing. But this guy shot up. And so, uh, and I can't remember his name. It doesn't matter. So I said, "Okay, go ahead." He said, "He said, guys. He said, uh, I don't know what normally goes on here, and I don't want all you guys to talk about. But I don't want to talk about my friend." And he pointed to the guy that yells all the time. He says, "There's something you guys got to know because I already know you guys want to punch him." And of course, a whole bunch of guys like, "Yeah," <laughs> I mean, they're just, they're just really. I mean, they've had enough. And so he tells us a story that, his, that this was a guy he grew up with. And like a lot of them, uh, he didn't know his dad. His mom had a lot of different boyfriends in and out of the house. And one day, um, when he came home, whoever his mom's current boyfriend was, he was beating her up. I mean, physically beating her up. And uh, he tried to stop the guy. but The guy was big and he was strong. And so he then ran to the closet and grabbed the bat because it's the only thing he could think of to try to stop this guy because he was going to kill his mom. And he went to hit this guy, and the guy turned around and caught the bat. And the guy took it and smacked him on the head and knocked him out. He had a brain injury. Ever since that moment, that's how he talked. He yelled. He really couldn't help it. Just so you know, in that entire room, I don't know how many guys wanted to punch him, but after that story, nobody did. You know why? They now understand. They understand exactly why this guy's doing this. In fact, immediately, it became a joke, you know? One guy immediately then turned to the new guy and said, hey, bud, can you stand up and yell your name? (laughs) I mean, it was just, they just immediately just embraced the guy, and it made a huge difference. So what I'm saying is, is that as believers, we should at least, as we, as we think about our relation with God and what we know about God and what we know about life and, and what we know about salvation and what's missing in the lives of others and how lives can get all messed up, with all the stuff that we know, when we meet people who are irritating or are nasty or whatever it happens to be, we at least should have enough within us as Christians to ask ourselves, I just wonder, what really is going on in their life. That, and you may not be in a position to ask them, or maybe not yet, because they don't know you. They'd be kind of weird, like, hey, so what's going on in your life? It's clearly, something's going on because you are nasty. All right, that may not be the best approach. But the idea is, is that we want to be understanding. A, so we can pray for them. And, and uh, maybe a good way to start is to, is to begin that. Pray for them right away. Say, Lord, you know, I, I don't like Timmy. I don't, know, I don't know what Timmy's deal is, but... And he's just really irritating, and but I want to find out what's going on. I want to be his friend because I'm a Christian. I don't think Tim is a Christian because I don't know any Christians that act like that. But you know, maybe you know. I, but I want to. You know, I'm willing to be used by you. Now, the Lord may not want to use, may not have for you to work in that person's life. But that's the attitude that we can bring. That's just the very practical aspects of Christianity. I can ask the Lord to help me to accept this individual, to care for this individual. And perhaps to find out what's going on with this individual so I can pray for them and befriend them. Um, because people sometimes would act out for, because they don't want people to get close to them or because there's stuff going on. And remember, we have the answer. We know God. The only individual that can help this person and what's going on in life, no matter how big it is, is God himself. And we all come to God the same way. It is through the person who work in Jesus Christ until our own sin is dealt with, there is no access to God. And so that individual cannot seek help from God, but I can seek help for them to God on their behalf. And so I'm already befriending them when they don't even know it. Yes? If they don't, let you? don't worry about it. Just keep praying for them. By, because, I, because I believe that as if we bring that attitude to the Lord, A, a couple things, but the Lord is using that in helping us to not then allow agitation to build up in our life towards that individual. And so it's better for you as well as better for them. You know, it gives us that patience, I think. Uh, now, again, I just said that, and I said it like it was the easy thing to do. Again, it's, there are times it's not easy. There are some people that are irritating, and we can put up with them. There's other people, I mean, I'm, you're human beings, so I know you're like me. This is the, you, just, you just don't want to. Mm-hmm. I'm out of energy for that individual, you know, kind of thing. And we've got to help you. Yeah. When you're in a situation like you just said, when you're out of energy and dealing with toxic, negative people, and you just want to avoid them after you pray for years upon years for these people, mm-hmm. what do you do in that situation? I believe that as you grow, I, I do believe this. As you grow as a Christian, the Lord will, will increase your capacity. To tolerate other people. So pray for tolerance? Pray for them. The Lord will give you tolerance for them. I'm convinced of that. You can pray for tolerance, but I think it's best to pray for them. And then and again, remember, God already knows what's going on in your heart. So you might as well tell him, say, Lord, I don't like him. And I know that's wrong. You have to we've got to confess to him. I know it's wrong. You know, it's not I'm not I'm not saying Lord, I don't like him, and you know why, because he deserves you know it's not that. I know it's wrong. And whatever I need to do. To be used by you in their life whether it's just silence or what have you i'm just asking you to help me to do that and i and i'm convinced it'll make a difference absolutely thirdly our work whatever that is again whether it's whether it's a job or you volunteer whatever it is our work is one way to fulfill our dual purpose which again which coincides with what i just said is to love god and others showing love to our co-workers is a good way to show that we love god Alright, so one of the ways, again, the way that we treat other people reveals um, more about the relationship we have with God. So, I, ha- what I've seen in my life, because I've not always been the most compassionate person. It's not that I don't, it's not that I am mean-spirited, but I was an individual who, yeah, you know, whatever, kind of a thing. But as I've grown as a Christian, my concern and care for people has increased. Now, the Lord's a used situations. sometimes I've been embarrassed, sometimes... I think the Lord used my wife, you know, because I believe the Lord uses our spouse to help us spiritually. And so because of her influence on me, I think I have, you know, my capacity has grown and increased. And so all of those things have been good for me. I'm sure there's still plenty of room for growth. But the idea is as is, is my compassion grows. And part of that is a reflection because I'm growing as a Christian. And that will happen to us as well. And then fourthly, we must work so this, this is dealing primarily with whatever your job is. We must work to provide for those who depend on us. Now, it, I think it used to be one of those things that could go, could be said, could, 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 you could kind of go without saying it. That was the idea. But we live in a time now where it seems that, because I've heard this and I've read about this, where it's becoming more common for people when they quit the job to just, at that moment, no two weeks, just walk away, or you just don't show up. Um, and I've dealt with, uh, normally it's people that, that I've been, the inmates I've been dealing with, who would act very irresponsibly at their jobs, and then find themselves in a situation where now there's no paycheck and they have no job, and they have a wife and kids, or a girlfriend and kids. I said, well, so, uh, so what, what's going to happen to them? Because well, I don't know, but I wasn't going to do that no more. So said, whoa. And I've told guys before this, so I had, a, you know, I'd Again, it's a very unique situation where you can kind of sometimes be much more open with individuals and straightforward. Um, so I've told several guys when they would say, Well, you know, I know my wife and kids got to eat and you know, I got to pay the rent, but I'm not going to any, no one's going to talk to me that the way my boss did, so I just left. And I'll just say, Oh, you're not a Christian, are you? They will Because, you know, sometimes in jail, but it's a Christian. I don't know why they say that. But, and they go, What do you mean I'm not a Christian? I go, Because Christians don't do that. You have to be so concerned about your wife and your kids that you're willing to put up with being mistreated until you get another job. And then you can quit that job. But you're only concerned about yourself, your ego or whatever, Mm -hmm. and so you don't care what happens to them because you're not thinking about the future. And I said, that's wrong. And I said, a Christian doesn't do that. Mm -hmm. And the amazing thing is, is a majority of these guys will tell me things like, I've never heard that in my life. And so we'll talk about that kind of thing. So what we need to remember is, is that again, not everybody's got a job they like. Alright, that's just the way that it is. And we know that. And it's not wrong for you to look for another job or even to pray for another job. It's not wrong. But we have to also need to remember that we have to fulfill our responsibilities. That's what God wants us to do. Period. And so we have to remember this. First Timothy chapter five, verse eight. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now, I want you to know that that's what God said. I'm not saying that. So again, what, you know, God through Paul, as Paul writes to Timothy, God says this, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, so this is the, the whole family as a whole, you, want, you, you are concerned about their welfare. Then he says, and especially the members of his own household, so that would be whoever's living in your house, so you, your spouse, your children, if you have a parent living with you, whoever, you are especially to provide for them. If you don't, God says you've denied the faith. Now, this does not mean, okay, this does not mean that you can provide for them lavishly. This does not mean that it may be very difficult to make ends meet. It may be you may be working with everything you have and you're still coming short and others are helping you out, but you are doing everything you can to fulfill your responsibility, then God will honor that. Period. But here, what he says is that if you don't do that, if you're not striving to do that, then you you have, he says, you are denying the faith. It's difficult to really grasp how strong of a statement that is. He is telling you. that What is the faith? The faith is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're denying that God has come in the flesh and dealt with the issue of sin. And then he says, just on top of that to make sure that you understand, you're worse than a non-believer. What is a non-believer? A non-believer is somebody who is living and rebelling against God 24 hours a day. Right? There's no such, there's, there's no, no such thing as a fence-sitter. Either you believe in Christ or you don't. You have faith in Christ or you don't. There's, there's nothing that's in between. Mm-hmm. And so the unbeliever, the Bible makes it very clear. Uh, when you read Ephesians, he uh, writes to them, he says, At one time we were what? We were the enemies of God. And now you're not the enemy of God. So it the, the uses pretty strong language. All right? You hated God. At one time we hated God. Now. I love God. Why? Because He loves me. You know, you go through all those things. So, here he makes this very clear that if you're not doing this, you're worse than an unbeliever. So, that's very, very strong language uh, that he uses there to try to get this point across. And so, that's, that's obviously a very important principle that we need to adopt. So, then it goes back then to remember what he says. So, whatever you do, you do heartily as unto the Lord. Uh, and we will cover what that means as unto the Lord. Uh, Next week, because we won't have time to cover it tonight. Uh, But but that's the principle that that um, that we need to follow. And again, God, uh, there is a sense that God does honor those who honor Him. As believers, we are His children. We live in obedience to what He says. You live in obedience to what He says. God will bless you. God blessing you doesn't mean you get a new car, new house, and you have uh, a house that has a month's worth of groceries. But it does mean this is that your needs will be met. Right? The only time. When we read the scripture, I'm, I'm trying to find if this is wrong, and I don't think it is. The only time that a believer will not have his needs met will be if it's a time of persecution. So, if it's times of persecution, you you may go hungry, you may not have shelter. You know those types of things. You're being persecuted because you're a Christian, or if you are squandering what God has given. In other words, God has given you the means, but you have mishandle it. Other than that your needs will be met the basic needs you need shelter, clothing, food it'll be met. I'm, I'm trying to find if there's, if there's an exception to that in the Bible and I, I just don't think that there is so the idea is, is basically what we, and we see this again in the Bible obey God. It's almost like it's, it's, it, we're not doing it disrespectfully it's almost like a challenge. Alright God I'm going to do it your way everything, what you say. So if, so if I miss a meal, my family misses a meal, that's on you. God's not afraid of that. That doesn't bother God at all. He, he will care for us. And I, I can tell you stories from my past where God has truly in miraculous ways provided for my family. Where, we have li- where we, there was no food left. There was mustard, ketchup, mayonnaise, water. I mean, nothing else. Oh, there was some salt and pepper, but I mean, there was, there's no, there's not an egg, there's not bologna, there's not a, I mean, nothing. And groceries appear, not out of nothing, but groceries appear on my doorstep. I mean, amazing things. Even before I had a chance to pray for them. I know other people that same kind of and it, and it didn't just happen because I was in the ministry because I was a jail chaplain I was in ministry it wasn't just because of that I know of other individuals who are not in ministry where they're believers and they're striving to live for God and God provides for them in amazing ways okay it happens and it's not just in this country it's in many countries uh, in fact there may be even more of those kinds of if you want to call them miracles in other countries than there are here because it's, it's truly astounding uh, but None of these things are too hard for God. God is concerned about these things. He's concerned about how you and I live every single day. And he's concerned uh, and interested in how we handle our life at home, our life at work, our relationships with everybody that we meet. And so, and this is the, these are the principles. These are the commands that God gives us. And so when he says, whatever you do, do it heartily to the Lord, that's, that's just what he means. And there is, there are blessings in that. Um, and uh, I think there's blessings now, and most definitely blessings that, are, that are, will be in the future, you know, when we're with the Lord, and we'll be rewarded richly uh, for these things. So uh, I hope that you'll think about those things in great detail uh, and make that a matter of prayer, looking at your life a little differently and the relationships that you have with work, uh, or maybe your neighbors or whoever, um, and looking at things differently and recognizing that, again, Knowing that you are around, you are around by accident, Um, and that God intends to use you um, in their lives. God, I think, desires to use us in the lives of others in many different ways, Um, and we just just need to follow what he says and, and let him do the rest. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you again for the commands that you give us in the scripture that allows us to understand and to know how it is that we are to live. Father, we know that on our own, these things, we can't do these things. They can, they can be difficult. I mean, they can, they can be easy for a little while, but in time, it becomes hard. Because there's this, it seems to be at times, there's so much in life that can be against us. But Father, we know that uh, there's nothing too hard for you. Father, we know that if we ask you to help us to live in obedience to your word, that you'll do that. And as we strive to follow what your word says, you'll bless. I pray, Lord, that you would help each one of us to remember these things and to strive for these things. I ask, Lord, that you will reveal yourself in these kinds of ways to everyone that is here, to everyone who strives to follow what you've given us in Scripture, to take seriously the things that you've said. We thank you, Lord, that you've left nothing to chance. We thank you, Lord, that you are active in, in all of our lives. We do want to be used, Father. We want to be a blessing. We want to be a blessing to our spouse. We want to be a blessing to our children, as well as others that we meet. We ask, Lord, you would help us, help us to do that. We thank you, Father, for probably the many, many people you've used in our lives to bless us. So, Father, we ask now that as we're dismissed that you will watch over us and keep us safe as we go home. We pray, Lord, that you would turn our thoughts to you often and that we'll meditate on your word. We thank you and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.